Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Friday, November 26th, 2021, episode number 209. Joining us on the call, we have the History Amigos. We've been dying to have this one for a very long time. We finally all got the, together. Uh, no racing going on, so it's time to talk to these three gentlemen. Uh, hopefully, it's the first of many conversations we can have here on Off the Groove. But uh, I'd like to introduce the History Amigos, Bert Sumner, Greg Pearson, and Bob Herrick. Bert, thanks for thanks for the time and thanks for coming on the podcast. You've been on before, so welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back. How you doing, Scotty? I'm doing great. Uh, just uh, trying to prepare for winter down here. We went from hot to cold. I've already got a hoodie on. I'm not happy about it. Uh, you guys got snow up there yet? I mean, it's up there in the cheese country. You got snow already? Nope, not yet. It's just the, the leaves are falling. It's 45 here, so it's it might not snow for a couple of weeks yet. But Okay. All right. And then Could also joining time. us... Also joining us on here is Greg Pearson. Greg, we've met a, a few times. Uh, I've got a couple of your books. Greg, thanks for taking the time. Where are you located at? I'm in West Virginia. Oh, I'm all right. I got you. So, so that's interesting. I love your books. I know you got a new one coming out or just came out. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Also, the third member of the History Amigos is Bob Herrick. Bob, where are you from? Where are you located? Um, I'm in Lansing, Michigan. Okay. All right. So part of the Michigan Mafia, so you got plenty of flat tracking going up there. So I guess my first question, I, I, I guess, like I said, I've heard from Bert a few times before, but Bert, you kind of got into, into motorcycles because of the family uh, aspect of things and your, you and your brother raced. Uh, you, your, your parents were deeply involved in promoting races, but uh, just briefly tell us where the passion for flat track comes from in you, Bert. Well, my dad started racing pro in 71 after the four of us were born. Uh, my brother, my sister and I started racing amateur in 79. My brother and I eventually went pro, uh, in 89, my brother, myself, and my dad were all experts. And, uh, my brother was a national member for many years. And, uh, you know, we grew up at Santa Fe Speedway down in Chicago, watching the races there every Wednesday night and now look back, realize how special it was, but that was kind of how that started. And, um, from the history aspect, um, you know, back before you had CD players and internet radio, uh, those long drives from Wisconsin to Ohio were spent, uh, with my brother and I remembering people's race numbers and who won which race and things like that and uh, also who had died and who had passed away, things like that. And so that was when he finally passed away in 02, that kind of was the uh, impetus for me to start my history webpage, uh, which started with the Flat Track Memorial that documents all of as many of the guys that I know of that have passed away racing. And then over the years, uh, met Bob and met Greg and found two kindred spirits that love the, the history as much as I do. And, um, We've been able. I I've been able to do some pretty cool things with with Greg and Bob's uh, help and assistance and tutoring and coaching and mentoring and um, yeah, it's been really cool to to have uh, two other brothers that I didn't have before. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are, are a perfect match for each other, Greg. I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know a lot about your background. So first of all, how did you get into motorcycles? Well, kind of like. You know, Bert, it was through the family. Uh, you know, my dad didn't race, but he was just a huge fan of any kind of motorsports, and so was my 
my rest of my family, my grandparents, you know, Daytona 500s and 60s and the Indy and stuff like that. But we had a lot of, uh, you know, dirt track stock car racing going on close to us. Uh, Pinsboro was where my mom grew up, which is a, used to be a huge deal in, in the world of stock car racing. But Dad always had a real passion for bikes, and he went to the charity newsies uh, for years back in the early 60s. And when I got old enough, and we lived in Columbus for a year or so, and, uh, you know, we started going there. First national I went to was in Columbus in 71 when, you know, Bart Marco won his, uh, his 28th and final race. But mm. Dad was always into bikes. He liked British stuff, and uh, he got me a Bull Taco first thing when I was 12 and then an Astro when I was 14. And I didn't really race much or do do a whole lot other than go to the races. We always lived on the, you know, the high border, so we spent – most of our summers chasing the high half miles, you know, two, three races a weekend and, uh, you know, met a lot of really cool people. And, uh, you know, I was just fascinated. You know, most of the other kids had, you know, football and baseball heroes. I'm like, you know, these guys are, are way cooler and you can talk to them. They're, you know, super nice, uh, super nice young guys. And, uh, um, you know, I, I started racing again with Arma, uh, came out with the, with that same Astro and uh, done, done some mad dog racing and stuff like that, you know. Uh, no, nothing serious, just having fun. Uh, as far as the, the, the history aspect, um, I had a, a history undergraduate degree, and you know when you can't decide what you want to do, you know you go into history and you can't teach. You, you go into industrial sales, which is what I've done for the last thirty years or so. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, with that, I just always had an interest in the history, and uh, I became really good friends back in the day with uh, with uh, Jim Ziegler, uh, National Number Eighty Nine, of course Jay Ridgeway. Billy Kennedy, the Kennedy family. And so I wrote articles about them, and then I helped put together uh, in 2006. They tried to, to have a revival of the Charity News, you know, which ran from like 39 to 80. And, um, and they had it decided to down since 2006. And I worked with Mark Madursky at the AMA Museum to put that on, and A.D. Fair at Harley Davidson. And mm-hmm. uh, had some problems with the weather, unfortunately, it didn't continue, but I got to meet so many of the, uh, the cool guys, you know, Bobby Hill and Dick Clampus and. Uh, uh, Bill Tooman and you know, and I knew Ronnie Rawl and Larry Dar and all those guys from before. But that you know, talking to those uh, to those older guys, even though my heart was in the '70s, you know, I'm like, you know, some of these guys aren't going to be around forever. So that's when I got the idea to write the the first Grand National book. And somewhere along the line, there, Bob and I crossed paths. I outbid him on a uh, on, on eBay on some Michigan uh, <laughs> Michigan programs at Northville Downs, I think. And uh, Bob got a hold of me, and, you know, and asked, "Hey, could you you know?" Could you copy those for me and send them to me? And I did. And so Bob and I have, uh, geez, I mean, I don't know how many years that's been, probably uh, way back in the 90s. And uh, Bert, not long after that, and Bert was a huge help with uh, with my, uh, especially my second book, helping to edit it. But those guys are, uh, again, you know, we're all really blessed to have kindred spirits. And, uh, you know, Bert's really a hard stat guy. Uh, Bob has really worked on the programs, the writers' names, numbers, where they're from, the huge collection of uh, programs, Cycle News, and so forth. And I'm more of the writer's story, I guess, if I had to pin it down in just general history. So between the three of us, it just seems to be a really cohesive unit. And uh, we definitely don't always agree on stuff, which is good, because we talk stuff out. And uh, a lot of times I'll see a point that I didn't have before going in. So I'm just, uh, I feel blessed to have the friends and blessed to be here talking with, uh, with, with Scotty. Well, it, I'm I'm honored to talk to you guys for sure. Uh, and and not agreeing on things is 
that's human nature. But if you guys can work it out and remain friends, that's even better. So uh, the the last member of the History Amigos is is Bob Herrick. And, and Bob, uh, how did you first get involved in motorcycles and then particularly flat track? Well, my dad was a big motorcycle enthusiast from when he was a kid and, and, and from there on out. And uh, he went to a lot of flat track races in Michigan back in the 50s. And, and then he started taking myself and my brother to um, some of the nationals, like Greg mentioned, Columbus. My first race was Mark Markle's last win at 71 in Columbus just like uh, Rex was. And um, I raced a little bit of hill climb when I was a kid. Then I got to know some of the racers here from Lansing, uh, Ted Booty and Eddie Morris. And they kind of just took off from there. And I started attending a lot of nationals every year because I really enjoyed So it, it sounds like your paths have all probably crossed a long, long time ago, and we probably all didn't realize it. So, um, Greg, you kind of mentioned how you met Bob through through eBay and, and online and stuff like that. Bert, um, how did you get hooked together with Greg and Bob to, at the same time? Well, I remember back in the uh, the original FlatTrack.com website that Wayne Hosaka ran that uh, – the main area was a forum and everyone had a username and there were comments and threads and discussions and whatnot. And, um, I noticed the, the BH history username was frequently coming up with, uh, very, very precise and very specific, uh, and very accurate, um, historical information. And so I just kind of, you know, most of my history at that point was, uh, just having a very good memory of this happening this summer and that summer and this summer, but uh, Bob had you know names and dates and hometowns and stuff, and so I just naturally gravitated towards trying to find out more from that and uh, you know what he had, and we started conversing and um, and that's how that I I will I remember that uh, very plainly of uh, of. Uh, his meticulousness and, and very detail oriented. And, uh, Greg, I think also, uh, came about right about uh, a little bit later on from that, but I think it was also on the, on the flat track site maybe, but it was, I think as he was maybe producing his first book was maybe when, uh, when I first became aware of his presence and, and as Greg so eloquently pointed out a minute ago is that, um, yeah, he's more about kind of writing the story. He's, he's the journalist of the, of the group. Um, whereas I'm more the stats guy. And so it, it's very, it's, it's great that we each have a passion, but our niche is a little bit different. So, um, we can kind of, we're able to relate each other and, and, uh, um, you know, we, I think we complement one another very, very well. So, Bob, uh, you own one of the largest flat track program collections probably in the world. I don't, I don't know if that's been verified by anybody, but I think we need to put you in Guinness. Uh, 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 periodical collection second to none. But but not only do you have that collection, but you have also have uh, painstak- painstakingly compiled a list of amateur, junior, and expert riders' names and numbers and hometowns from 1965 to 1990 my first question is why 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 would you 
compiled that particular list? Well, I've always, uh, for one, I've always been a numbers guy and a math guy in school, and I've just always been fascinated by numbers. And, and uh, I found out that I, um, why I tried racing was um, what I enjoyed most, and uh, and there's history about certain things, so everything just kind of fell together that way. I started buying programs on eBay back in about 98 or somewhere in that area, um, you know, and, and then I met other people that also bought programs and it wasn't necessarily I needed or wanted to have all these programs, but I needed to get to us. So, um, to compile all the data for my book. So, um, I also have huge stacks of photocopied entry lists from, you know, 500 races that I don't even have programs for. Like, I, I probably got a couple, a hundred different mascot entry lists from wow. going back to 1950 from weekly programs. And, and I've got like 95% of all the national, either the program or the entry list from 1946 up through 2000. I probably got 95 percent of them. That's amazing. Where where do you keep those? Uh, hopefully, they're inside in a nice, dry, safe place. Oh yeah, I've got a I've got a huge basement and storage room, and I'm uh, so I got plenty of room. I've got you know thousands and thousands of cycle news and and motorcycle weekly newspapers, and I've got every AMA magazine from. 45 up to 2000 and every cycle magazine and cycle world, uh, motorcyclist. So I've got all the periodicals so I can look anything up that I need to look up. That, that's amazing. I, I love it. And you know, when, when I grew up, uh, as a, as a youngster, I remember going to the races with, with Graham and Pa, my grandparents and, and Graham would use the programs to, to make notes of maybe the quick time or do time trials. She'd have a section she'd write on, and then she'd also try to write down results of you know some heat race winners or or main event winners and whatnot. Or maybe if somebody's on a different motorcycle, she'd make notes like that. Do any of your programs have something similar to that? Most definitely. And any time I went to the race, I kept every time and the first eight pictures and heat race and that type of thing. So all my programs are fully scored just with everything that which is a good thing and a lot of them you buy on ebay or that way too yeah yeah i was going to suggest that or, or mention that too um i i guess um what, what do you have a favorite program that you own or do they all are they all similar or or what are your thoughts on that um well, I've got some from the early 70s, all from Mike Columbus that are autographed by Kenny Roberts, you know, Gary Scott, Rex Bojam, I get all 10, 12 autographs on them. So those are pretty special. Okay. Where, where, a special one. Yeah. Where are they going to go? When, 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 when the History Migos go away, where, were, where will your big collection go? Have you, have you even thought about that yet? Um, not, not really that much, uh, no, but, um, maybe, uh, someone will auction them, auction them off. I don't know. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm. We're having the same issue. I think. I think my gram has kept. You know, all the American Motorcyclist magazines, the cycle newses, and stuff like that from the '60s, probably to the '70s or '80s, and she doesn't know what to do with them either. So I was just asking, you know, for a friend. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I, I could take, say, the whole year of American Motorcyclist Association from 1956 and sell all 12 and advertise them on eBay, and they would sell. Or you know, a lot of that stuff, you could get rid of it that way. Okay. I like it. I'll, I'll have to let her know that she's, of course, going to be listening to this here real soon. Uh, Greg, I want to I switch gears and go over to you. So uh, you've written, now that I know, I know of three books, but the first two were the Grand National Championship books covering 1954 to 1975. Um, how long did it take to, to write that first book? Oh, geez. It was, uh, you know, of course, I'll had to work a real job through all this. It was probably at least three years. Um, and it, it's kind of a curse working on a book because once you decide to do it and then you get maybe about halfway, then it's, it's, it's all consuming. And, uh, but it was also one of the greatest times of my life, uh, getting to talk to, uh, so many legends, you know, uh, Gary Nixon and, uh, old Markle. And, uh, you know, that I would just, I got people's numbers and, uh, they were so helpful to help. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the thing is once you get started on it, you feel, um, you know, an obligation and, a, you know, to, to, to try to tell the story the best you can. And, you know, I didn't really have a lot of contacts other than, you know, kind of starting out with you know, Kathy Estep, you know, uh, Ronnie Roth's sister, and, uh, you know, she was married to Dave Estep. Donnie Estep was her son. Kathy was a huge help in introducing me to a lot of the older guys, and uh, so that was a big start, and I don't have I don't have Bob's collection. I do have a huge Cycle News collection, but I also got access to the AMA Museum you know, through Mark Mandursky. So that was a big help. So there's a lot on the road, uh, a lot of just compiling stuff, and uh, I think we're all all of us here, and probably most everybody listening are huge Cycle News fans, and I I love the way you know Cycle News would break the races down in the 70s and 80s and tell a story and have a little sidebar with, uh, you know, kind of trivia, the briefly thing or whatever, uh, which I, I named my little trivia section, like the extra, extra section. Uh, so, you know, I tried to tell the story of each race, uh, each championship, and uh, uh, the story of every racetrack that they went to. You know, I detailed information that each time they went to a new track, I tried to give a full history on that track and where, where, where it's at today as far as it still exists or whatever. Uh, so I just really tried to tell, tell the story in those books. And, you know, the first book was like 637 pages, big cycle news. And, uh, so it was, uh, it was just the way I wanted to write it. And, um, you know, um, I, I think for you know, the first try after writing a bunch of articles, um, you know, I was pretty happy as an honest attempt to tell, you know, really the complete history of that, of that first period, which was the first book was 54 to 69. And then how much longer did it take before you put out the, the second book that led up to 1975? Uh, it, I probably had about, a, I think, like, I, I started on it pretty pretty quick. I think first book was 2008, 2009. The second was 2012. So I hopped on it pretty quick. Um, so yeah, I think it came out in 2012. And it was kind of the same process, about the same amount of time, even though uh, it, it, does, it only covers, uh, what, five five, six years, 70, 75, versus uh, 16 years. 
but mm-hmm. uh, you know those in the fifties and early sixties, they a lot of times they only ran a handful of races, so to speak, compared to the later years, made ten, twelve races. You got into the seventh when they had thirty races a season. Um, even though it didn't cover as many years, it covers almost as many events, if, if you know what I mean. So right. uh, it took about as long to do. And uh, right after that, uh, almost as soon as I, I had it ready to come out, uh, again, uh, Mark Badersky, I mentioned his name several times. Mark's been a real key to me, um, you know, been a real friend and a real colleague. But he uh, he was consulting with the uh, National Motorcycle Museum in Anamosa, and they wanted to do a Dirt Track Heroes exhibit, which uh, which I worked on for about a year and a half. And uh, uh, Bob and Bert were, were a a big part of that bird came down and actually helped and it was it was a big deal and then after that i had i had terminal dirt track history burnout so i it <laughs> took a while before i could pick anything back up but uh yeah the second book was more of my era uh you know i knew those guys a little more that was the time i grew up going to the races so it was a it was a real special special thing to put together it had you know Jim, jimmy Ziegler was in it and uh, ridgeway was in it uh the kennedys were in it you know all all my kind of all my heroes from that time period. Well, the, they're awesome books, and, and they're still available online. Can, can people get them, like, on Amazon, or where can people get the first two books? Uh, eBay is usually where I have them, or, you know, if you're on Facebook, uh, you know, you can get a hold of me pretty easy. Uh, okay. Through email and buy them direct. You know, Amazon charges so much per month to sell and just wasn't really profitable. eBay gotcha. is a little easier to, to deal with. Um and you know, but uh, they can always, uh, like I said, they're on Facebook. I'm I'm really easy to find. I'm I'm pretty prevalent on the uh, on the racing uh, pages, you know. So uh, yeah, they're they're both available. Uh, you know, the newest book I had uh, worked on uh, worked on with Bob is the uh, Gardenia Results, the Ascot Results book, and it's it just came out a little bit ago. But uh, and, and Bob's uh, Bob's is is available too. Uh, you know, I I think we may put them together and put them all up. Uh, you know. Make a make a good Christmas present package for uh, for anybody that loves history. So, Bob, I've heard your book mentioned a couple times. I actually don't have any information on your book. So, what is your book called, and what's it about? Uh, it's, it's called a collection of AMA Pro Racing uh, dirt track competition numbers. Um, it's about uh, four hundred and some pages. It's just there's a you couldn't do all the novices because it would add another 200, 300 sure. pages to the, to, you know, there used to be 400 novices or however many, 500 per year. So, but all the experts and juniors are, you know, are listed in the book. And, um, I put in like the top 50 novices for each year. And, awesome. um, the, the, uh, if, if you're interested in the book, you can find it at Bert's website along underneath with all the other books, Greg's books, and uh, and uh, you can find that information there. I love it. I love it. So, Bert, we've been talking to some Wisconsin people the last uh, couple of weeks. We had Jeremy uh, DeRyder. We had Jeremy Proc on. Before that, we had Slow on, and your name came up in, in, in a few of them, but uh, uh, Jeremy Proc said you also are like, he said you're like, and I'm not going to say you're God, but he said you're God sometimes because you go up top 
and people listen to you. They don't come to you and ask you questions. You're there to be like the eyes in the sky. So how long have you been doing that and helping out at, at his event? I know you have your event, the Dairyland Classic, which is very successful. But how long have you, have you been helping Jeremy out? Uh, I helped him with the first three or four of his events. I I think I forget. I think he's uh, getting ready to do a sixth or seventh. So I haven't uh, haven't been involved with the last one or two. Um, the last one that I did, I was I uh, was pretty much on the headset at the very top of the arena, um, just as a, as an overwatch, trying to keep an eye on the corner workers and the starter and the. Uh, things like that so that uh, we could be a little bit more uh, proactive that when, you know, on that little indoor track, everyone's down at ground level and there are so many photographers and whatnot around that. And it's so loud Mm -hmm. that it's very, very difficult for people at ground level to uh, keep it, you know, keep an eye on everything. You know, I I think you and I have talked before that, you know, when you're at an outdoor dirt track, you can kind of hear when a bike's crashing and then you Mm -hmm. can kind of, steer your attention that way but inside that uh inside that arena there at the Pfizer forum it's just a cacophony of noise and uh it's really difficult to uh even trying to keep your head on a swivel and so the last time that i helped him uh uh a year or two ago i just found a spot way up in the top in the rafters uh, and had my headset on and was kind of keeping an eye on everything and i that way i could call out to you know, corner three, this is going on. Corner four, this is what's going on. Starter, be aware of this and and try to help uh, things going on because um, I just felt that that would help everything run a little bit smoother. So, so Bert, you got the website, and it goes along with your race, the, the Dairyland Classic, which is returning June 3rd, 2022. Uh, I can't wait to uh, put that on my calendar and, and go to my second consecutive, my second ever. Uh, I want to check it out again, so uh, I, I hope that race continues to keep going. But on your website, people can find out some of the stuff we've been talking about is on your website as well. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, some of the rule changes are on there. So a lot of the history is on there. So is that compiled by you and the history Migos or is the website just your information? Uh, I run the website. I manage the website and that's dairylineclassic.com. That's the, the landing page that'll take you to our two flat track events every year. And then at the bottom, there's a, a, a link to the uh, AMA history end of it. Uh, the all the stuff that's in there is just stuff that I have collected, stuff that Bob has told me about, stuff that Greg has told me about, stuff that uh, another uh, colleague of mine, Bill Milburn, has told me about uh, that tries to track. And there's one page on there. The there's a there's a myriad of history things on there. I'm confident it's the most uh, comprehensive. Uh, flat track history webpage that you'll find out there. There's a, the flat track memorials on there that tries to, mm-hmm. to recognize uh, the hundred, the hundred or so guys that I know of that have passed away racing motorcycles since 1924. There's the AMA timeline that tries to uh, document all the, the highs and lows of every year from 1903 to the present. Um, I've got every uh, class C podium is listed on there since 1933. Uh, Bob was a huge help with that, as was uh, Jim Sutter from Hawaii with getting rider names and hometowns from back in the in the early, early histories in 1930s, uh, stuff like that. Bob was really helpful with identifying uh, 
bike numbers and hometowns for guys from the 40s and 50s. Uh, Greg's books were very helpful uh, for getting other stuff online on with that. Uh, so I've got all the podiums. I've got a bunch of stuff on there for I've lost track of how many stuff, how much stuff is on there. I've got uh, an entire page devoted to uh, uh, historical women's achievements uh, that have taken place from uh, the first woman in 1971 to get a pro license uh, to the to the current. I've got age-related records. I've got a list on there, a page that indicates what the different uh, plate colors, number plate colors, and what the district letters used to be. And um, yeah, a little bit of everything. There's also the the history books. There's a there's a page on there where you can find out information about uh, all three of Greg's books plus uh, Bob's books. And anything else that those guys come up with will be put on there. Um, so that's been kind of a, a labor of of uh, love that every so often I just get uh, get an idea to do something and I'll reach out to Bob or Greg to get a little bit more information and then I just put it all together. I, I kind of consider it that I'm the part of the con or I'm a conduit that Greg and Bob have all this information. I just have the means to put it into a web page so that everyone can appreciate it. Well, I, I, I love it. You know, I, I, I usually get a media guide or I used to get a media guide from AFT when I, when I first started working for him, but I haven't had a new one in a few years. And a lot of times I don't have all the information. So I'll, I'll shoot you a text. And sometimes it's a text during a race night. Sometimes it's text while I'm getting my notes ready. So I appreciate all three of you. Cause I know you kind of run it by Greg and Bob, if you don't know the answer, but I appreciate all the stats and all the the correct information that you guys give me, uh, it, it, it comes in handy when I'm out there trying to fill time for like eight hours, you know, on a race day. So, uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, Greg, how often do you three guys get together? Is it like a, just a phone call? Is it a zoom meeting or do you guys get together in person? Usually what we've done, it's been quite a few years now and I encourage everybody to go if, if they're still going to continue. It is a, is a Neil King race reunion that the Donaldson's put on. Uh, in St. Louis, and that that's usually I, I took a few years off after my dad passed away. We were so close, it was hard for me to go on my own, and uh, you know, but I, I started going again not long ago. Of course, COVID came in, but that's a that's a major event for us, and to to see uh, you know the old racers, to see the great collection of Donaldsons, you know, a lot of Bill Mil- Milburn's bikes, um, you know, it, it's just a great time to turn out to talk to these guys, the guys from the 60s and 70s just have a certain class that is just uh, is amazing. It's a time to celebrate, you know, uh, the people, because flat track racing is the, the best motorsports in the world. I, I think we all are kind of biased, but the people are just absolutely fantastic. And the stories you hear and hanging out uh, at, the, at the motel, uh, uh, and we always end up usually uh, really, really late with a handful of, legends uh you know kicking back a few drinks and uh hearing hearing the g-rated stories hearing the good r-rated stories that we can't write about uh uh-huh. things like that but that's a great time and we've hit lima a few times uh it's been a little bit hit and miss for me but uh so we usually get together at least a couple times a year i've not yet made it up to uh birch race and uh you know he's always on my ass about that but i always contribute to the jim sumner uh, Dash for Cash, which is just an amazing uh, race, uh, you know, and I've got to, got to meet some really cool racers uh, like Morgan Mishler through that. And uh, so, yeah, whenever whenever come, we can kind of get something central 
uh, you know, it's always a possibility we can get together. Yeah, well, next year uh, we can all meet up there at the same time at, at, at Dairyland Classic. I think I'm planning it already. Carter's planning it. I know, Bert, you're going to be there. Uh, hey, Bob, do you get to go out and go to very many races still, or you you, you just try to watch them online? Um, no, I like to get out a couple of year, uh, to every year. Uh, I've been down to Lima, I think, 29 times now for the National. And wow. Last year I got to Indianapolis. Indianapolis for the two miles there, and I think I've been there 20-some nationals I've seen at Indianapolis, and I, I have been over to Bird's Race, uh, oh, I think it was about three years ago, uh, and enjoyed uh, seeing his race and uh, looking around over there in Wisconsin. So, um, yeah, I get to a few a year. Okay. So, you, you, Bert, I, I can't remember which one of you brought this up, but, you know, the, the flattrack.com and, and that, you know, the flat track forum is where everybody used to get on there and, and you know, give their two cents how to make the sport better. And it seemed like to me the for the longest time it was if we were on TV, the sport being in, in a much better place. So I'm going to start with you, Bert. Do you think TV is helping our sport right now? Um. I might be biased because I'm a race promoter. And one thing that I don't, uh, it's not so much the being on, I think being on TV helps, uh, having the live streaming, I think that discourages people to go to the racetrack. Um, and you'll see that a lot where someone goes, Hey, there's this race going on this weekend. Uh, you should come up to it. And almost immediately you see someone going, are you going to stream it online? Well, right. Right. You know, there's not, there's nothing that's, there's nothing I mean, flat track is great, but seeing it and feeling it and experiencing it in person is what draws people or brings people, uh, keeps them passionate about it. And watching stuff on TV, yeah, the beer's cheaper and you've got climate control, but I'm not much of a fan of uh, offering the offering the live streaming because it just discourages people from going to the racetrack. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. If, if they're going to stream it and if, they, if they're paying for it to be streamed, I think the promoter should get a portion of that. You know, it's their event. They're sticking their neck out there. So I'd, I'd like the TV aspect of it. Is it taking us to the next level? I don't know. Um, I'm kind of with you on the streaming. I mean, I know that's part of my job is to, to talk to people at home and around the world. I'm okay with it. You know, maybe just streaming to the other countries. I don't know how they could possibly do that. But it, it's just it's a it's kind of a catch-22. Um, yeah, I've got a question. I got a question for all three of you, and I don't want the same answer from any of you. So I'm gonna put you guys on the spot, um, and and I, you don't have to talk bad about about AFT or you you can if you if you if you choose to. I I I, I walk that fine line because I still work for him. But um, Bob, I'll let you go first. What is one thing that if you were in charge of American Flat Track right now, what is one thing you would change for the 2022 season? Um, well, one thing I'd like to see happen that probably a lot of people wouldn't agree with is to go back to the lotters for people that don't have a national number or don't score any points so you know where they were from. Um, that, that was one thing. That's one thing I could think of, but that's just me. A lot of people uh, have their own opinion on that. 
No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that because, you know, uh, the, the diehard fans know if there's a letter C, it's from down South Carolina. They know if there's a, a, a Z, it's from California, you know, G, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Colorado. I mean, the diehards know that for sure. Um, I definitely miss that. I don't care for the three-digit numbers. I know they were around back in the day, but that was because we had so many dang riders. We couldn't have any. It was hard to have a duplicate. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot now, Greg. What's one thing you would change if you were in, in charge for one day? Number one thing, and I think the number one thing is, is driven so much animosity on social media is the uh, you know the, the 18 or it was going to be the sweet 16, you know. But now they're they're lucky to get 12. Is open that back up because I, I think you wouldn't have heard near the backlash from all the old guys uh, and, and longtime fans if you weren't trying to limit uh, limit the entries in the Super Twins because. You know, I've had good-natured, I usually quit before it gets bad-natured, discussions with guys, and you guys will say, well, the next thing you're going to tell me, the race is not good in the main, the race is not good in the main event. And I'll say, the race is always great. The, the guys who are in the Nationals in the main event is, is some of the best races, the bravest guys, most skilled people you see. Uh, but what made the show back in the day was the heat races, taking three out of the heat races, taking two mm-hmm. out of the semis. Uh, a last chance qualifier. That was a huge part of the show that has disappeared. And the, I know the younger folks that haven't been around haven't seen that, but best racing I've ever seen in my life, besides obviously the great main events, is places like, and I'm going to plug my home state, you know, we're lucky to have a national there at Parkersburg at Mineral Wells. Mm-hmm. That track, you know, when it was right, had, you know, six, eight wide. But those guys have raced their brains out in the semis great racers that guys who just never made it to top level for you know money or whatever but you know in the semi seeing uh, you know randy texter and john cornwell and tommy maitland and these guys racing their friggin' brains out to make it into the main event it was a big deal to get into a main event at grand nationals in, in the 60s 70s 80s and uh, i think we're missing a huge thing and i know that just taking those limitations of the 18 out is not going to fix things but uh, that would help, I think, to, to not make it feel like it's uh, exclusive. America, you know, flat track is American blue collar sport, and man, guys built bikes in their, you know, in their garage, and uh, um, you know, to go compete, and uh, and that's how they made a name. And yeah, when you got to a certain point, you know, you had, to, you know, you got to a point if you're good enough, you picked up a big ride. Uh, but you know, you see Willie McCoy build a, you know, XR in his garage and go win Springfield. Mm-hmm. That's that to me. That's what it's about. Yeah, that, that that it's right. I mean, you, you won't see that right now, the way the format is, the way the class structure is. So you, you won't see that at this moment. Maybe that will change for next year. Bert, do you have anything to add? What's one thing you would change without repeating uh, your amigos? Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that Greg mentioned the semis because I was struggling to come up with one thing, and uh, that's something that um, back in the day that guys – got some notoriety for winning a semi and that was something that they could really hang their hat on and get some exposure. Um, even, even if you take the TV end of it out, you know, my brother was, uh, was well known for winning semis at, uh, at every mile that he went to. Uh, that was Mm -hmm. how he made almost every grand national main event was by winning the semi. And, uh, now the way the format is the guys that are, mid-pack in the heat are going to be mid if there is a heat they're mid-pack in the heat they're mid-pack in the semi and they're mid-pack in the main and they they have zero chance of getting any kind of notoriety and the, the, there's nothing they can really hang their hats on that 
I think that makes it harder for them to get sponsors, harder for them to be motivated to keep, uh, you know, keep going because, you know, we, we only had the one bike. And so winning the, winning the semi was, was, uh, the double-edged sword. It's like, great. We won the semi. We're in the main, but now we got to make this thing last for 25 laps and still run next week at Hagerstown or where we were going to go to. Um, that's something I think, I think they really need to, uh, you know, and there were some races this year where they had like one round of qualifying, a semi, and a final, and that was it. Right. Um, yeah, that makes that makes it tough when you're trying to, you know, if you're a first year pro trying to race against people that are, you know, been in that class for eight or ten years and you've never been to that track before. That's uh, that's a tough nut to crack. But I think uh, given the mid pack guys an opportunity to get some exposure, that's uh, that's something that I think is hurting the hurting the the whole program. Yeah, I, I, I'm not too happy with, you know, four laps of practice, eight laps of time qualifying practice, and then one semi to make the main. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it as maybe not as a, a factory guy or maybe a guy in the premier class, but as a single guy or production twins guy, I don't know if I would leave my house in Oklahoma to drive to Sacramento or one of the farther tracks just to just have one shot at making the main event. I think that'd be kind of tough. So I, I think that might be my change of, of, what might ha- what I'd like to change for next year, but you know, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a guy that gets to talk about the racing, so I don't I don't get to make the rules. But uh, um, I I, I want to know uh, one interesting takeaway or stat that you guys might have. This will be our final question because we've been on the phone for quite a while. But uh, Bert, I'm gonna start with you since you're the stat guy. Uh, give me something, some nugget, something great from 2021 that that you've thought of or that you've seen this year. Um, I would say the, looking over at the, the parody in the singles class that I looked it up and KTM had 18 podiums, Yamaha's had 15, Honda's had 13, and then Husqvarna and Suzuki each had one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, I think a lot of people point to the singles racing, which, um, I think the singles class most accurately replicates what those of us old timers remember back in the seventies, where it's kind of a free for all and, you know, you show up with a bike and there, there's less restrictions in that class than anywhere else. And, uh, you get, it seems like that you get more, more different winners and there's a, a more jumble every week, you know, in the, in the big class, you've pretty much got, uh, Jared and Briar are going to be one and two or one and three or two and three. They're typically going to take two of the, of the podium spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't have that in the, in the singles class. So I think that that parody is still going well. Um, and among the KTMs that, uh, Morgan Mishler had the most KTM podiums of eight and, uh, Max had six and Shana had four. So, um, you know, even though, uh, Max Whale and Shana Texter get all the publicity, Morgan was doing a really solid job this year. And I'm glad to see him on a factory ride for next year. Yeah, I am too. So Greg, you're the, the storyteller of the bunch. It kind of sounds like, um, what to you is the biggest story of the 2021 season? I don't know the biggest story in general, but the, you know one of the biggest stories to me. And you know, I'm a well-known underdog fan from uh, my association with Jay, Jay Ridgeway. And I always, you know, I, I love you know the factory guys. Like you know, they're all, I, you know, I love all all aspects of racing. But I always root for the the guy who's you know taking the bike in the, in the old van. And even though it kind of had a, a down ending for the year, you know, I'm a huge Cameron Smith fan. And to see Cameron 
you know, who, who made a huge splash, you know, in singles, did really well, and he struggled, you know, the, the last couple of years in singles. And I just, you know, from his, uh, you know, from his ability, and he's a strong young kid, uh, you know, I, I just knew the twins would be where Cameron needed to be. And, he, you know, he achieved, achieved a really cool milestone. And, uh, you know, he's had a setback, but I, you know, to me, I just, uh, just knowing him and, uh, you know, people talked about him losing his ride. He said, hell, I didn't have a ride. I had to build it myself and take it in the van. You know, <laughs> a low-butt guy, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I hope for big things for Cameron in the future, and I, I think we'll see big things from him. He, just, he needs somebody to really get behind him. Yep, and, and it's going to be see, interesting to see how he recovers from this uh, little setback and, and does the road to recovery. Hopefully it doesn't take him as long as it took Dalton Gauthier to come back. Uh, Bob, you're you're the guy with the programs, with the, with the history of the numbers in hometowns, and and is there anything that really stuck out to you that, that you can see from the 21, 21 season from afar that, that maybe you could tell us about? Well, Bert uh, kind of touched on it, uh, the – the uh, parity in the singles class, and um, that's very uh, healthy, I think, with the amount of competitiveness that is spread across the singles class. Um, it was uh, kind of shocking at the start of the year to win, Gina won the first two, but um, we see uh, a lot of glimpses of um, new and upcoming riders and and somebody like Morgan Mishler, the second half of the year, that was just like Bert mentioned, which was who was so uh, really strong. So I was really impressed with the singles this year. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate all of your time so much. Again, we can find most of your books and information on Bert's website. That's the Dairyland Classic website. Uh, again, hopefully, we can have several conversations with you guys. I love all the information you share with me because. Uh, it takes an army for me to, to look good up there talking about racing. And I just want to say thanks to each of you three for for your contribution to the best sport in the world. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. You're a big spokesperson for the history of the sport and uh, very visible. And that sure helps with the history aspect. And I've been to races that you call the thousands of people in the stands. But I've been there when there's been seven people in the stands. Uh-huh. I think you always give it your all and uh, and, and put in a, put in a hard day's work every time you're there. Well, yeah, that, I mean, it doesn't matter how many people are there. They paid the same amount to get in. So uh, I'm going to give them the show that I that I have in my between my ears and, and I'll do my best job. But uh, I, I would love to have you guys on again. Maybe we can dive deep into some more history because you guys are awesome. And uh, thanks for your time. And, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having us. Got it.